The skeleton is organized. Skeleton is organized and classified in axial and appendicular. We'll see that later. But all these components, the bones, they have up to seven functions that we can mention, and they are listed here. First of all, support, which is obvious. It's support for the body, soft organs, protection is the second function. Protection of organs like the brain, as the region of the skull. Spinal cord, vital organs of the heart, lungs, inside the thoracic cavity, protected by the ribs and sternum. The third function is movement. The bones are places where the muscles will attach to. And when the muscles contract, they pull the bones and move our body. <clears throat> Number four, mineral and growth factor storage. Bone is made of calcium. Calcium is an important electrolyte mineral that we use for many functions. Blood cell formation, number five. This word, hematopoiesis, hematopoiesis means blood cell formation. And that happens in the bones, in spaces called red bone marrow. Number six, fat storage or triglyceride storage because there is fat inside the bones, especially in the long bones. They have cavities inside, but there's something that we call yellow bone marrow, and it's fat, it's adipose tissue. So it's an additional function, storage of triglycerides. And seven, hormone production. It has been found that this chemical or hormone, osteocalcin, is produced by the bones and it helps in general for the metabolism. It has interactions with the glucose levels, the amount of insulin that the pancreas produces, and it's a, a, another important function of the bones. So up to seven functions of the bones, and uh, we're going to describe some of them, mentioning some important details of these. As I was saying, the classification of the bones. The bones of our body are classified in two groups. Axial skeleton and appendicular skeleton. The axial skeleton, as the name says, the, the axis. All the bones located in the midline. Or close to the midline. In the axis of the body. And we're talking about the skull, vertebral column, and the rib cage all located in the very center of the body, in the axis of the body. And appendicular skeleton, the bones of the upper and lower limbs, including the girdles, so bones that attach the limbs to the axial skeleton. This is a division that we will use for our study. The first of the labs will be axial skeleton. We're going to study skull, vertebral column, rib cage, and then the next lab will do appendicular skeleton, the upper and lower limbs. In this diagram, we can see clear what are the bones components of the axial skeleton 
and a pendicular skeleton. So I said the appendicular skeleton includes bones that attach the limb to the axial skeleton. I'm talking about these bones, the scapula and the pelvic bone. So the bones of the limbs, like the femur, radius, I mean, humerus, but there are two bones that attach those bones of the limbs to the axial skeleton. Those are the scapula, clavicle, and the pelvic bone. And there are more uh, criteria to classify the bones. Now we can classify the bones if we get them individually. We can classify them according to the shape. And according to the shape, we have long bones, which are the bones of the limbs. Upper limb, lower limb, they are long bones. Short bones, we have bones in the wrist and in the ankle, which are a good example of short bones. They have cuboidal shape, usually. Flat bones. Flat bones like the sternum, also known as the breastbone. The skull bones, they are flat. They are like membranes, calcified. And irregular bones, whichever shape that does not fit exactly in the other shapes, it is called irregular bones, or it contains a mixture of different shapes, like the vertebrae, the vertebral column, like the hip bone, which is the pelvic bone. Those are considered irregular bones. The two types uh, of bones that we usually describe mostly are the long bones and the flat bones. We'll be making some differences in long bones, flat bones, especially regarding the development. And these are the examples that I was mentioning. Long bone, a good example is the humerus. Flat bone, the sternum. Short bone, we have this bone in the ankle called the talus. And irregular bone, the vertebra of the vertebral column. They're typical examples of these different shapes of the bones. Now let's study the bone structure. How the, the bone is structured, what is the bone made of, what is the internal structure. There is a specific organization that we need to review. There are three levels of a structure that to review. First, the gross, which is whatever we see with the naked eye. Microscopic and the chemical structure. Going one by one, let's start with the gross aspect or gross anatomy, what we can see with our naked eye. First, we have to describe two types of bone tissue, compact bone and spongy bone. As the name says, compact is a solid, dense layer of bone. We appreciate this well when we have sections of bones, like transverse sections, longitudinal sections, and we can see that 
all the bones on the outer surface they are made of compact bone solid spongy bone we see that in the inside like in the example that we see in the picture we have a bone of the skull a piece of the bone of the skull that has been cut and we can see it like a sandwich two layers of compact bone inside and outside and in the middle spongy bone and as the name says like a sponge there are many cavities or spaces determined by small pieces of bone that are called trabeculae trabeculae are those little pieces of bones that determine all these spaces in the middle in this spongy bone so two types of bone tissue we can differentiate and we can see clearly when we make a section of the bone and let's start describing some other structures like um, this spongy bone that we describe in between the thin plates uh, this is called uh, diplo. Diplo is another name for this middle part, middle part of the spongy bone. And we describe this uh, previous picture like a sandwich, but there will be two membranes of connective tissue covering the outside, and that's called the periosteum and covering the inside, the endosteum. Now what is in those spaces determined by the trabeculae in the spongy bone? There is where we found bone marrow. Bone marrow, which is another type of tissue that is filling up all those spaces. Going back quickly to the previous picture, all this area, which is the outer mouth, outer side, outside, is covered by periosteum, and here there's a membrane called endosteum. That's what we we're talking about in the next slide: periosteum and endosteum. And the bone marrow, the bone marrow is filling up all these spaces, all these small cavities in the spongy bone. Another example, another picture to see this spongy bone, also known as the diplo. Compact bone, like the two plates of solid bone. And it's just an amplification of the trabeculae, or see the trabeculae, which are the pieces of bone that determine those spaces. And all these spaces are filled up with bone marrow. We'll see what type of tissue that is. So now let's describe the structure of a typical lone bone. The lone bone is taken as a good example of um, a bone that will show us different parts. And these terms are very used, especially when we talk about fractures. Like when we see an x-ray, we want to describe a fracture of the humerus. And we see a fracture in the middle part. 
Well, the correct way of describing that is a fracture in the diaphysis of the humerus. That's why we have these terms described here. The lumbone, the shaft, the central part is called diaphysis. And the two ends are epiphysis. Every long bone has two epiphyses because since it's in the limb, there is a proximal end and there is a distal end. That's what we say, proximal epiphysis and distal epiphysis. Here we make combination of the terms that we are studying. Membranes. Membranes are covering the bone. We'll see a, a diagram to explain all these parts. What the diaphysis is made of, compact bone, is like a tube of compact bone. And in the middle, there is a cavity called medullary cavity. And this medullary cavity is filled with yellow bone marrow, which we said already is fat, adipose tissue. And the both ends, called epiphysis, they have compact bone externally, but internally, they have a spongy bone. So there is no medullary cavity. There is a spongy bone in both epiphysis or both ends. An important description here says articular cartilage covers the articular surfaces. Well, this long bone, since it's usually connected, let's say the humerus, is connected proximally to the shoulder and distally to the ulnar radius. Well, these ends, the epiphyses, are covered by a layer of cartilage called articular cartilage. And in between the junction of the diaphysis and the epiphysis, we see a line called epiphyseal line. This epiphyseal line is a remnant of a plate of cartilage that we have in the bone when we are still growing. That's the reason why the bone grows in length, because there is an epiphyseal plate that gets calcified and allows the bone to grow in length. But then after we finish growth, then that plate turns into a line, and we see it in adults. We don't see more cartilage, no more growth. We just see a line in between the diaphysis and the epiphysis. Here we have all these structures. See the diaphysis, which is the central part, the ep proximal epiphysis, distal epiphysis. To know which is proximal, which is distal, you, know, you need to know the bone. You need to know which of them articulates with which other bones. So you have the orientation of which is proximal and which is distal epiphysis. Another thing that you see here is the articular cartilage, this blue layer covering both epiphyses. And then a section, longitudinal section, let us see the diaphysis is made of compact bone, and there is a cavity called medullary cavity, which is filled with yellow bone marrow that we see here, this yellow bone marrow fat. Going to the epiphysis, we see that it is compact bone, but in the middle, 
in the central part is spongible. Spongible with the same features that we said before, like little cavities and small cavities there. And also we see here the epiphyseal line. It's a line of compact bone between the epiphysis and the diaphysis. That is called epiphyseal line. Where is the periosteum and endosteum? Well, we see here periosteum labeled showing a very thin membrane covering the surface, the outer surface of the bone. And the endosteum, the endosteum is a membrane covering the inside of the medullary cavity. We take the long bone for describing all these typical parts. Uh, and as I said, we're going to use all these terms, especially diaphysis, epiphysis, uh, epiphyseal line, periosteum, endosteum. We'll be repeating all these names and terms along the following slides. An amplified view of a small section of the bone is showing us the two types of tissue, compact bone and spongy bone covered by articular cartilage. So this means that this is proximal epiphysis or distal epiphysis in contact with a joint or another bone. And endosteum, the endosteum is covering the inner part of all these cavities. And there are a lot of blood vessels inside the bone. The bone is hard, is mineral, is calcium, but it has a lot of cavities and places where blood vessels are running, as we see here. These are the descriptions of the membranes, periosteum, periosteum, covering the external surfaces. And it has, we say it's double-layered because it has two layers. One layer is called a fibrous layer, which is dense, irregular connective tissue. And contains fibers, strong fibers, that secure or attach very well, very strongly to the bone, to the surface of the bone. A fibrous layer. And the second layer is called osteogenic. Osteogenic, because it will contain cells which are called osteogenic stem cells. And those cells are going to give place to specialized cells that will keep forming bone a long lifetime. You know when we have a fracture, this fracture heals. New bone is formed and repairs the, the, the break. Well, that is thanks to these osteogenic stem cells located in the periosteum, in the periosteum. That's the importance of the periosteum. Periosteum is not just a membrane covering the bone. It contains cells that will repair, fix the bone in case of a fracture. And nerve fibers, blood vessels, that will get inside the bone through a small opening called nutrient foramen. This is something that you will see in every single bone. Like when you start studying the bones in the lab, you will see any bone you will have to find a small hole in some place, one or more. What are those for? Well, small holes for blood vessels getting inside the bone tissue. That's called nutrient foramen, an opening.
And also the periosteum attaches to tendons, ligaments, all this dense regular connective tissue. Periosteum contains nerve fibers. Periosteum hurts. The bone doesn't hurt. Some people that have fractures, like sometimes the bones break the skin and you can see the bones outside. If you touch the part that is covered with periosteum, that hurts. But if you touch the bone that is uncovered, that doesn't have periosteum, it has been broken, the person will not feel anything. It's just bone. Only hurts where there's nerve fibers or periosteum. And the endosteum is inside, it's a delicate membrane covering the internal bone surface. If it's a spongy bone, it's covering all these small cavities, trabeculae. And same thing as the periosteum, there are osteogenic cells here that will help to keep or maintain the bone composition. Periosteum and endosteum. Another view showing us some of these structures. Endosteum lining the inside of the medullary cavity in this case. We see the yellow bone marrow. The compact bone. Periosteum covering the outside of the bone. These are the sharpie fibers or perforating fibers. The strong fibers that will attach the periosteum strongly to uh, the surface of the bone. And the blood vessel here called nutrient artery that will enter into the inside of the bone. And inside will give many branches and the blood is circulating inside the, all these spaces. Now, we, we described the, the, the bone marrow bone marrow and uh, we said it's filling as tissue filling up the uh, spaces of the spongy bone and we also said well bone marrow is also in the medullary cavity and is yellow bone marrow there are two types of bone marrow red bone marrow and yellow bone marrow the red bone marrow is hematopoietic tissue which means cells that we give place or form blood cells the red bone marrow is a place where our blood cells are produced every single day. Red blood cells, white blood cells are produced in the red bone marrow. And what is in the red bone marrow? It's in the trabecular cavities of spongy bone, of spongy bone, the diplo of flat bones like the sternum. So here in our sternum, in the spongy bone, that's where we have red bone marrow and it is forming our blood cells. And in the long bones, we get an example here of long bones. In the shaft, we have yellow bone marrow because there's a cavity called medullary cavity. That's filled up with fat tissue. But in the epiphysis of these bones, the long bones, there's a spongy bone. Therefore, here the spongy bone of the epiphysis is where we have red bone marrow like bones, long bones like the femur, humerus, in the epiphysis they have red bone marrow, but in the diaphysis is yellow bone marrow. 
When we are born, the medullary cavities, they contain all red bone marrow. Little bones are small, and we are in active production of blood cells. But then as long as we grow up, that medullary cavity is replaced by fat tissue. But that red bone marrow turns into yellow bone marrow. And um, hematopoiesis or formation of blood cells will happen mostly in the flat bones and the diplo, irregular bones, and much less in the head of the femur and the humerus. Only the head of the long bones we will have blood cell formation. But then the flat bones, irregular bones, they will be the ones that produce blood cells mostly in adults. Bone markings, continue with the gross anatomy, description of what we can see with our naked eye. What are bone markings? Bone markings are different features that the bone has in the external surface. And they serve for attachment of muscles, ligaments, tendons, or it provides area for joint formation or ducts for blood vessels and nerves, holes, openings that will house blood vessels or nerves. In general, we describe three types of bone markings. Projections, depressions, and openings. Projection is just a a bump in the bone, it's an outward bulge of the bone. Depression, maybe like a little bowl or groove, and usually for uh, serve as a passageway for blood vessels of nerves uh, or provide space for connection with another bone. And openings are just holes, holes or canals, again, that serve as passageway for blood vessels and nerves. So there are three main categories of bone markings. Projections, depressions, and openings. And then follows one, two, two slides with a detail about uh, these bone markings. Projections, we said, projections are outward bulges of the bones, bumps. Well, those projections may be tuberosities, crests, trochanter, line, tubercle, epicondyle, spine, process, a lot of names. All of them are projections. These tables, these two tables are useful when we, st when we start studying the bones. I mean, it's not for memorization in one day, but it's good as a help because when you start studying the bones and the bone markings that have specific names, you will see descriptions like deltoid tuberosity. You see, what is a tuberosity? And you can come to the table and and read the definition of what a tuberosity is, 
a large round projection and then you can get to understand and differentiate that from other bone markings. That's, that's how this works. Crest. We're going to study the iliac crest in the pelvic bone, which is labeled here, the iliac crest. And it's a border, the border of the pelvic bone. It's named as the crest because there's a little bump, a little bulging part of, the, of that bone at that point. So keep these tables, and you, when you start studying the bones in the lab, uh, bring them back to, uh, as a reference when you see all these names and to get a better comprehension, and you have all the definitions and some examples here in these two tables. Here are projections that help to form joints like head, facet, condyle. This condyle is defined as a rounded articular projection like in the mandible. In the mandible we have this condyle that is a connection with the skull. And thanks to this round projection, is that we can move the mandible up and down on both sides, um, and that's known as a condyle. And that has a name, it's called mandibular condyle. So when you see that, you know, you can come to the table and see what the definition of a condyle is. Depressions and openings have different names, maybe grooves, fissures, foramen. Foramen means hole, it's just a hole. Notch, meatus, which is a canal-like passageway, fossa, sinus, that stands for big cavity. So these terms will help. Will help to uh, identify and understand what the meaning of some of these markings are. Now let's go to the microscopic level of microscopic structure. At the microscopic uh, structure or anatomy of the bone, we identify all these types of cells. Osteogenic cells, which were mentioned in one of the slides as part of the periosteum. Second, the osteoblasts. Third, osteocytes. Four, bone lining cells. And five, osteoclasts. And in, the, and in the description it says that all of them, they come from the same basic cell type. Yeah, this is an osteogenic stem cell. That in a way is uh, the one that specializes and gives place to all these five types of cells. So let's see what are these cells and where they are, lo they, they are located in the bone. First, the osteogenic cells. The osteogenic cells are the progenitors, stem cells, osteogenic stem cells. They are in the periosteum and endosteum. If they are stimulated, they will give place to osteoblasts. But always, we always have them in the periosteum and osteum as osteogenic stem cells. Only when they are stimulated, like when you have a fracture, or you're still in growth, or you need to remodel or reinforce some bone for some reason because of the stimulus, 
one of the things that help for stimulation of the stem cells is the exercise. Tension, increased stress and tension exercise, like working with weights in the gym, you start working with a lot of weights. When the muscles pull the bone, increase the tension, stress, and the oxygenic cells will stimulate, get it stimulated to form more bone right there in that specific place where it's been subject to stress. But we always have them all the time. We have osteogenic stem cells in there. Sometimes have people, uh, some people have fractures that are really, really impressive because of the destruction of bone. Like people that have gunshots and the bone is completely shattered. And well, surgeons come and fix, align the pieces of the bone and then wait. Wait, so the osteogenic stem cells start working. They form osteoblasts, and the periosteum will start replacing little by little. It may take up to six months for this bone to recover, and sometimes not completely. But it's amazing how all these cells will repair the bone. Osteoblasts. These are bone-forming cells. These are active cells that are forming bone. How they form bone? Well, they produce matrix. Remember, bone is a type of connective tissue, so we're talking about matrix, ground substance, fibers. They produce unmineralized bone matrix, which is called osteoid. Osteoid is made of collagen, fibers, and proteins that have this property. It will bind calcium. So osteoblasts form osteoid, and then it will get calcified. And now we have new bone. There's a lot of collagen, a lot of collagen. That gives the strength, the resistance to the bone. And plus, it's calcified, and we have the bone. Third type, osteocytes. The osteocytes are bone cells that are mature. They are mature. They are not osteoblasts. They are adult cells. They are the same osteoblasts. They get older and they get mature. Now they are called osteocytes. They are located in spaces called lacunae. And remember, the osteoblasts were mitotically active. They were reproducing. But these osteocytes no longer divide. What do the osteocytes do? They maintain the bone matrix. They maintain the bone matrix. They maintain it calcified. And um, they are trapped. Because once they deposit bone around them, they get trapped in those spaces called lacunae. But whenever there's a stress or tension increased, they detect that. And they can send signals for a stimulation of more osteoblast and formation of additional bone. So osteocytes are maintenance cells. They maintain the bone. Bone lining cells. They are cells that are uh, covering the bone surfaces. They help to maintain the matrix along with the osteocytes. And they are um, located in the external bone surface and internal surface. And they are called periosteal cells periosteal cells or endosteal cells. These are bone lining cells. It's just components of the membrane. 
And the fifth type is called osteoclast. The osteoclast is a giant cell. It's multinucleated. What is the function of this multinucleated bone uh, cell? Bone reabsorption. Breakdown of bone. If these cells are active, they will be eating up the bone. They reabsorb the bone. They are in, in places, depressions, called resorption bays. They look like macrophages. They are giant cells. They have a lot of enzymes, lysosomes, digestive enzymes, that will dissolve the bone, the osteoid, and release the calcium. What's the meaning? What's the sense of this? Well, first, one of the functions of the bone is mineral, calcium storage. So that's our essential source of calcium. If for some reason we have deficiency of calcium, the diet or some disease, immediately, as an emergency situation, these osteoclasts will start eating up the bone and send the calcium from the bone to the blood. What is the calcium good for? Cardiac muscle contraction, conduction of electrical impulses, blood coagulation, many other functions the calcium has. So if we are deficient in calcium, we take the calcium from the bone, and that's the job of the osteoclast, whenever it's necessary. Another thing, if we have the bone, like we are now, like we do now, the bone is a result of a balance between the osteoblast and the osteoclast, because the osteoblast forms bone, and the osteoclast reabsorbs bone. So there's a balance. The osteoblast is forming bone, and the osteoclast is eating up the bone. So we keep a determined level. When um, astronauts go to the space, they will have, after six months of being there or three months, they will have osteoporosis, which is a thinning of the bone. Why? Because they're not exercising. There's no gravity. So the osteoblasts don't have a stimulation to form bone. But the osteoclasts will keep eating bone. So there's an imbalance there. And they'll have less bone along the time. If we are here, exercising, walking under the gravity, then we have a stimulation and we keep the balance. So the osteoclasts, they eat the bone, reabsorb the bone when it's necessary. And that's just a comparison of these two cells. Osteocytes and osteoclasts. The osteocyte is the mature cell bo uh, bone cell. And the osteoclast, giant cell, many nuclei, many projections, lots of lysosomes, digestive enzymes to eat up the bone. So those are the cells. Now let's see how those cells are found in these two types of tissue that we described, which are compact bone and spongy bone. The compact bone is also called lamellar bone. Lamella is a term that means layer. And the components of the compact bone are the osteon or haversion system. It's a set of canals and canaliculi. There are small and tiny passageways. And the lamella or lamellae, which I said stands for layers. There are some of them 
circumferential or concentric lamellae and other type of layers of lamellae called interstitial lamellae. What is the ostium? The ostium of haversian system. This is considered the unit of the compact bone. The ostium is a cylinder. It's a cylinder running parallel to the long axis of the bone. And they are like pillars. They are like columns. And this ostium, this cylinder, contains many concentric layers, like rings around it, made of bone matrix. And that's what we call lamellae. Lamellae or layers. Well, these lamellae, since they are matrix, they contain collagen. Collagen, and they are running in different directions, since it's a concentric layer, all this with collagen fibers, and that provides the resistance and the strength to the bone. And as we said, the matrix is composed of collagen fibers and protein that binds calcium. So these collagen fibers will get calcified. And that's how we end up with these compact bones, which units are called osteons or haversian systems. In a diagram or picture, we can see this. We see a long cylinder of matrix and bone surrounded by many other concentric layers of bone matrix calcified. Those layers are called lamellae. And what's in the middle, in the very center of this central canal? Blood vessels and nerves, artery veins and nerve fibers. See the collagen fibers running in different directions here. In every layer, they are running in different directions. They are crossing, and that crossing will give the strength and resistance to the bone. Under the microscope, we have seen this slide when we did tissues. We see a central canal and all concentric layers called lamellae. And the dots that we see there, the dark dots, are osteocytes in lacunae. Canals and canaliculi. There is a central canal called the central or haversial canal. And perforating canals called Volkmann's canal are right angles with the central canal. This is just a set of canals and canaliculi that are passageways for blood vessels, blood vessels and nerves coming from the periosteum. Remember the nutrient artery, nutrient artery that gets into the bone will get to central canals, get branches uh, that connect many central canals to different osteons and there's a complex network inside those little canals. Lacunae, we said, are the spaces or cavities where the osteocytes are. And canaliculi is a term that we use for these tiny canals that connect lacunae to each other. Under the microscope, under high magnification, you see the osteocytes in the lacunae, they look like little spiders with many projections. And those projections are projections of the cell, but located in very tiny canaliculi, very tiny canals surrounded by matrix or bone. 
and they contact with each other, osteocytes, all of them are connected by their projections. So these osteocytes, they get trapped, as I was saying, they get trapped in the canaliculi and in the lacunae as long as they get mature, get older, and they continue uh, uh, as a maintenance of the bone. Lamellae, two types, interstitial and circumferential. Circumferential are just the concentric rings, the concentric layers. Um, and the interstitial are lamellae that are not part of the osteum. So these are layers that are not part of the rings, but they are filling up the spaces in between osteums. That's what they call interstitial lamellae. When the bone gets formed, they always follow that pattern. Around the central canal, many rings of lamellae, and that gives the structure, the resistance and strength of the bone. But in between, in between these osteons, there are spaces that are filled out by uh, matrix organized as interstitial lamellae, interstitial layer. Here we see in this diagram more of these things. We see the circumferential lamellae, all these rings, concentric layers of matrix, calcified matrix, and this is how we see an osteon cut in a transverse way, as we saw under the microscope. Another thing we see here is the perforating or Volkmann's canal. The central canal is here, in the central of the osteon, but these perforating canals are canals that make a right angle with the central canal. So they connect. They are the, the, like the bridges between two central canals. We see the periosteum, and in the lower portion, we can see the canalicula, I mean the osteocytes in the lacunae, with all these little dark dots. And you see more magnification, we see like spiders communicating with each other. Interstitial lamella are here. All this space in between the osteons is filled up by interstitial lamella. Questions, comments to this point? Let's take a break before the next part. 10 minutes.